Hey, this is Derek Wooten. I'm lead pastor of Makers Church here in Cincinnati, Ohio, where our desire is to make disciples and make a difference. Thank you so much for joining us through our podcast. We pray this message speaks life and encouragement into you and what God is doing in your life. Hope you enjoy it. Good morning, Maker Church. It is uh, so good to see all of you um, this morning. Uh, what an incredible morning we've already had, uh, seeing people baptized and babies dedicated. Um, I think it's a beautiful example of everything that Makers stands for. Uh, we, we here at Makers, we, we make a point of valuing families, of valuing sons and daughters. And so it's been such an amazing start uh, to the morning. Um, before I get into the word, I want to do a couple things. I just want to address a couple things. First, I want to express how thankful I am not only for this Makers family, um, but for the ones who lead the Makers family. For people like Pastor Derek and Pastor Melissa and Pastor Brad, who's watching online, and Miss Emily, I know. Um, and so I'm super thankful for the leaders that are in this house because of the sacrifices that they make and the things that they do to impart not only into me, but into all of us. And so if you're thankful for your, the leaders of this house, can you give them a round of applause real quick? I also just want to recognize, um, I am the youth pastor here, and so I want to recognize the amazing youth ministry that we have back here. Um, first, the amazing team that helps uh, make everything possible with everything that we do with events and services. They are awesome. But also I want to highlight and recognize the amazing young people that we have. Like... like the gifts and the talents and the hearts that I have get, gotten to see in you guys in the last year and a half or however long I've been back there has been incredible. And I am extremely thankful for sons and daughters and also mothers and fathers that are willing to raise them into the kingdom principles that we believe in. Amen? Um, so not only is this my first time preaching here at Maker's Youth, uh, or not Maker's Youth, Maker's Church. It's habit, sorry, uh, here at Maker's Church, but it is Family Worship Sunday. Um, if There's an undeniable theme today that I have recognized, and it is generations, right? There's an undeniable theme in generations, whether it was between the, baby, or, or the family that dedicated babies and then got baptized, or it's having all of our kids in here worshiping uh, with all generations. And so today, I want to spend the time that we have together talking about families and generations, okay? So... Um, before, before I go on, I'm gonna, we're going to go ahead and pray over the message, all right? Father, we thank you so much, God, for this day. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your presence. Lord, we thank you that you are in this room, Father. We thank you, Lord, that you're continuing, God, to speak to us, to challenge us, to change us, Father. And I thank you, Lord, that this word, Father, that you would allow me to give it the way that you gave it to me. Father, I thank you, Lord, that every heart in this room, Lord, that we would not leave the same way that we came in. And Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your faithfulness, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So one of the beautiful things about Maker's Church um, that I've recognized is just the interaction and connection between generations. There's not a lot of churches where, where you see the interaction between the older generations and the younger generations like you do here, right? It is a beautiful thing to see on a regular basis. Now, in this very room right now, we have four to five generations that are represented right now, okay? Four to five. So the first one of those is called the silent generation. To be honest with you, um, these, these names are very creative and I would not have come up with them. So, but the first is the silent generation. It's, it's uh, people that were born between 1925 and 1944, okay? 
Now they were known for living modestly and saving money, okay? Part of the reason for that was because of them growing up through the Great Depression and, and directly following the Great Depression. So they learned how to save. The next is baby boomers, 1945 to 1964. It's one of the largest generations in the history of the U.S. Yeah, if you, if, when, I'm, when I'm naming generations, if you wanna make noise, go ahead. <laughs> I guess that's the majority of our congregation too right now, it sounds like. So, and then there's Gen X, okay? Gen X, they currently make up the bulk of leadership roles, okay? Millennials, anybody millennials in here? Yes. Pastor Derek, yes, sir. So they make up the majority of the workforce, all right? Then you got Gen Z. Any Gen Zers in here? Listen, if you made noise and you're not a part of Gen Z, I will not call you out on it, it's okay. So those are between 1997 and 2012. Now, interesting fact about Gen Z, um, first of all, I fall into that category, I was born in 98, but they receive nearly $44 billion a year in allowance. Now listen, I don't know about you, Gen Zers, but I'm wondering where my cut in on, on that is, okay? So, <laughs> although there's many differences, that exists between each generation. We can recognize the fact that there is differences without being divided. We recognize that there is differences in each generation. There's differences in their preferences, differences in the things that we do. Listen, I think that there, if we ask every generation in this room, what do you do in your free time? There's gonna be a lot of different answers, right? And so although that there are so many differences that exist between generations, something that we can recognize is the fact that the choices and decisions of each generation has impact on the generations that follow it. The decisions that one generation makes has impact upon the generations that follow after them. Everybody with me? For example, during the baby boomer generation, there was a growth in families, obviously, okay? growth in families. And what this did is it pushed families out into more suburban areas rather than in the cities. So where they, during the industrial revolution had moved from rural areas to cities for jobs, they then began to move into suburbs, which led to um, a building boom for houses and schools and malls and stuff like that, okay? That clearly has in, had impact on us, especially in Eastgate with Eastgate Mall and we see what that is right now. So Gen X were the first generation to grow up with their own personal computers. Now, I would be willing to guess a very high percentage in this room have your own personal computer in your pocket right now, or you're taking notes on it, which if you are, I'm proud of you. So the reality of these two examples demonstrates that decisions of one generation or the things that they do or the way that they live impacts the generations that follow them, okay? So we can even look back through biblical history and the, and the history of the church. And we see the disciples and, and over 2000 years ago and the choices that they made and the decisions that they made that led to where we are right now. Listen, I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that the disciples chose to, to tarry for the Holy Spirit when Jesus told them to. I'm thankful that the disciples decided to say yes to everything God was calling them into to go into places to establish the kingdom. I'm thankful for that, okay? So we see, all throughout history, all throughout mankind, where, where generations, their decisions have impacted the generations that have followed them. Now, while there are all these age groups on the earth, while there have been countless generations in the history of mankind, it is amazing that the God that we serve is a generational God. God is a generational God. Exodus 3, 6, it says, 
I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. We understand that God was, was the God of each generation, but something I want us to realize today even is that beyond just God being the God of each generation, just not, that, not just that he knows each generation, but listen, he loves and he values each generation. It'd be one thing if God was just the God of each generation, but he is the faithful God to each generation. Psalms 100 verse 5, it says, For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. From the silent generation to Gen Z, God is faithful to you. If you have breath in your lungs this morning and you are in this room, listen to me. Whether you feel like it or you do not, God has been faithful to you. Because, listen, because no matter what part of, what, what generation you fall into, no matter what age demographic you are, are a part of, no matter which generation, when I said it, you yelled, no matter which one, if you have accepted the free gift of Jesus, you are a part of God's family. Now listen, if you're excited to be a part of God's family, somebody say amen. Now listen, because God cares and values each generation, guess that, what that means for us? We should too. It's not enough just that God would love and value each generation. We have to see the importance in loving and valuing each generation as well. So I truly believe, I didn't introduce this earlier, but the title of the message tonight or today is The Best is Yet to Come. I truly believe that the best is yet to come, not just for us, but for the church at large. And in order for that to happen, we have to value the generations that came before us. We have to, we have to celebrate the generations that came before us, but we cannot let that like, keep us from cherishing the generations that come after us. We have to value the generations that came before us and prepare the generations that are coming after us. We can't overlook either one. And you might be saying, Pastor Cam, like, how important is this really? Listen, if you don't hear anything else I say today, I hope you do, but if you don't, Hear me when I say this, a generation depends on it. How important is it really? How important is it really that I care and I value the next generation? They are depending upon it. A generation is depending upon us caring. We need to be the generation that does not hand kids our problems, but we do everything we can to help them step into purpose. It can be really tempting for us to push off our problems and, and, and ignore them and unaddress them and allow the next generations to deal with them. But listen to me. Part of caring and valuing about the next generation is not letting them deal with our problems but helping them step into purpose. The reason that fighting for kingdom principles and godly values in our generation, fighting for things like marriage, equality, justice, life, unity, is so important is because whatever we allow to go unaddressed, whatever we allow to go under the radar, whatever we try to ignore, listen to me, will become common practice in generations after us. The things that we choose to ignore today will become common practice for generations that follow after us. So many of the principles of God, kingdom principles, kingdom values are under attack in our world today and have been for thousands of years. The enemy didn't just start attacking kingdom principles. Kingdom principles are under attack from an enemy. But listen, 
If we choose to ignore the attack, it'll become common practice for our sons and daughters. It'll become common practice for our granddaughters and our grandsons. If we allow hate, division, anger, fear to go unaddressed in our homes, in our families, in our community, and in our nation today, these things will become or continue to be common practice. I believe that the Lord is raising up a church that will not be okay with the things that we are talking about to become common practice, but we will begin to continue to promote kingdom principles in our sons and daughters. Now, now we've talked about how generations impact one another and, 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 and kind of the consequences that can be felt from that. But I want us to look at an unfortunate example of this in God's word. Now, I love the Old Testament for a couple reasons. One is a lot of the stories in there you can use to speak from. Like there's a lot of stories in there that you can speak about. And a lot of them are used to encourage us. Like a lot of the biblical stories in, in the Old Testament, like David and Goliath and all of those things are used to encourage us. But listen, there are a lot of stories in the Old Testament that should be used to warn us. There are a lot of stories in the Old Testament that we can use to not just encourage us, but to warn us from the things to stay away from. So we're going to be in 1 Kings 11, verses 1 through 6. Um, it's talking about a guy named Solomon, King Solomon. Now, for those that don't know, uh, David and Goliath, you've heard of him probably, um, whether it's at church or in a sporting event or whatever. Um, David and Goliath, King David. Solomon was David's son, okay? Solomon was also the one, one of the, like considered one of the wisest men to ever walk the earth. He wrote Proverbs, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes. He wrote some of the, 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 the books that we read in the Bible today. And so understand who this guy is, okay? So 1 Kings 11, it says, Now King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women. And yes, I practiced that a long time to get those all right. Verse 2, it says, From the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, You shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. With all that said, Solomon clung to these in love. Verse 3, it says, he had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. Now, real quick, just side note, for all the single people in the room, he had 700 spouses, and we're just asking the Lord for one, okay? So, 700 spouses. Verse 4, for when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of, his, of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and, and did not wholly follow the Lord as David, his father, had done. Now, only reading that text, you might think that we could sum up Solomon's reign essentially as him being a rebellious, evil king. Simply just reading that, you could be like, oh, Solomon was a terrible king. He was awful. But I want us to recognize that not everything Solomon did was evil and rebellious. Solomon did do things like building a temple for the Lord in Israel. The Lord desired a temple to be built in Israel uh, for him to dwell in, and Solomon was the one that built that. Like I mentioned earlier, Solomon um, uh, wrote different books in Scripture, and he asked the Lord for wisdom, and the Lord gave him wisdom. So Solomon wasn't all evil and rebellious. And still, Solomon la Solomon's lack of intentionality not only affected his life, but introduced Id idol worship into the entire nation. 
to begin serving and worshiping all kinds of other gods. Solomon, because of his lack of intentionality, introduced idol worship into the entire nation. And they began to serve and worship these other gods. But listen, notice something. They didn't cast out the God of Israel. They didn't forget about the God of Israel. They just tried to make him one of many. They tried to make the God of Israel just another one of their gods. You see, they didn't get rid of him, but instead they tried to mix all of these pagan rituals and traditions along with him. I want us to understand something, that God is a jealous God. We've heard that before. But listen, God will not remain where he is not first. They in Israel, Solomon, they decided God to, they, they wanted God to be present, but they didn't want him to preside over every area of their life. They wanted God to be present in their nation, but they didn't want him to preside over their decisions, over the things that they worshiped. They didn't want God to preside, they simply wanted him present. How many times have we fallen into the trap of wanting God to be present, but not wanting him to preside? How many times have we, I'll get personal for a sec. How many times have we fallen into the trap of letting, of asking God to be present and bless our decisions and choices instead of presiding over our choices? Listen, we need to become people that don't just ask God to bless the things that we do, but ask, us, ask him to lead us in making the choice of what we're going to do. There is a big difference in us asking God, Lord, please bless this, this business decision I'm doing when the Lord never told you to do that in the first place. We need to be people that ask God to preside and not just be present. Solomon's decisions and the choices he made introduced idol worship in Israel like had never been seen in the time of his father David, right? Something I want us to recognize is the compromise of one generation became the customs of the next. The place in which one generation chose to compromise in their heart, in their family, and in their homes became the place where, 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 where things become customary that were never supposed to be. The high places that Solomon built for worship, the practice of pagan traditions that he allowed into the house of Israel and ultimately began participating in became common practice, became customs for over 10 generations following him. Understand, when Solomon got in, idol worship in Israel didn't really exist on a, on a large scale. But after he made a decision to compromise, it became a custom for over 10 generations following him. What Solomon allowed into his home and ultimately into the house of Israel polluted and corrupted the religious practices beyond just Solomon's lifetime. Now, Pastor Cam, what's your point? What's my point? Solomon was a king of an entire nation. And I think that we can fall into the place sometimes where we, we won't say it out loud, but we almost think that our decisions and our lives are almost insignificant in this kind of thing. That we really can't have impact in, in the way that the next generation comes up. We really can't impact the way that, that our nation values things. We really can't have impact like a king could. But listen, my point isn't that you have to be a king or a president for the choices you make to have impact on generations after you. You might not be a king or queen over a nation, but listen to me. A lot of you guys are leaders in your homes. A lot of you guys are leaders in your schools. A lot of you guys are leaders in your communities. A lot of you guys are in leadership or influence somewhere in your life. 
The places in which we allow compromise to persist, the places in our lives, homes, and hearts that we lack intentionality, it doesn't just impact us, it impacts our sons and daughters. We need to understand that the choices that we make today don't just have impact on our tomorrow, they have impact on their tomorrow. They have impact on their kids tomorrow. They have impact on the next generation's tomorrow. The choices that we make today will decide what will the next generations will come up in. We have to become aware of this. Now, not only was Solomon's heart divided because of his compromise, but ultimately the kingdom of Israel divided. Okay? Now, I find it interesting that when the kingdom divided, how many of you know the, the Israel is made up of 12 tribes? Okay? The 12 sons of Jacob, they ended up forming 12 tribes, which became the nation of Israel. Now, when they divided, the, the, the tribe that broke off was Judah. Okay? Now, for those that don't know, Judah closely translates to the Hebrew word yada. Everybody say yada. Now, yada. It is a specific kind of praise. It is praise that is your hands extended, hands raised, okay? So Judah means yada, yada means extended hands praise. Many of you guys, when you praise and worship, we lift our hands, right? Something we do. So quite literally, because of Solomon's compromise, it led to Israel losing the praise. Judah means praise. And when Judah broke off from Israel, Israel lost its praise because of the compromise that happened in Solomon's heart. One way, and this is kind of a side note, but one way for us to recognize if you have compromise in your heart, in your home, or in your family is if you've lost your praise. If you have lost your ability to praise the Lord for his goodness and for his faithfulness, you probably have compromised somewhere. Now, not only does the lifting of the hands mean praise, but there's also one other universal symbol that is associated with raising your hands. No matter where you go on the earth, no matter what country you're in, no matter what language they speak, if you raise your hands on the earth, it also represents surrender. If you lift your hands, it is a symbol of surrender. Okay? So I want us to notice that not only did Israel lose its praise, it lost its surrender. When Solomon made a decision to compromise in his heart, let me, let me go back for a sec. A lot of us think that compromise, we, we, we decide to compromise. We choose to compromise. And while that's partially true, a lot of the times compromise happens because you're not being intentional. As much as compromise can happen because you intentionally compromise, a lot of the times that compromise can happen is because you're not intentional in the way that you're living your life. We have to be people that are willing to, be, to, to live our lives intentionally. So not only did it lose its praise, but it lost its surrender. If we want to see to it that the best is truly yet to come for the generations after us, for our sons and for our daughters and for our church. And listen, even for you, we have to be people that do not lose our surrender. We cannot be people, not only that don't lose our praise, but we cannot lose our surrender to the Lord. We cannot lose our surrender to everything that he wants to do in and through our lives. If you're with me, somebody say amen. We don't just want the Lord to be present but we want the Lord to preside over every decision that we make. 
And again, I hit the point that being intentional, it does not just impact you, it impacts your kids. It impacts your kids' kids. I think it helps sometimes if we can understand that the decisions that we make impact other people. I know when I was in school and stuff and was not always doing the smartest things and everything, I know that a lot of times, um, oh, hey, mom, by the way, I forgot you're in here. Um, but a lot of times what I would do is if my friends were, could get in trouble because of it, I probably wouldn't do it. If I understood that the impact of my decisions or my choices had impact on people other than me, I'd be more likely to be intentional about my choices. So if we can understand that our decisions have impact on more than just the people that we are, but the people that we are raising, I think we will be more intentional about the choices that we make. Now, speaking to fathers and mothers in the room, whether spiritual or biological, because both exist and both are important. Knowing the reward that comes with you, with you having sons and daughters, there's also a responsibility in it. There's a celebration that goes when people have, have children, and it's awesome, and it's amazing, but there's also a responsibility that comes with that. You don't just have a kid so you can post on social media. You don't just have a kid so people can, so, so then you can be helped by other people. Like, you, you have a kid because there's a responsibility that comes along with it. And so if we understand that there is a responsibility that comes along with the reward of having children, I want to give us three things that I think will allow us to ensure that the best is still yet to come, not just for us, but for the church and for our sons and daughters, okay? So the three things, I'll just list them all out and then we'll go through each, one from each of them. It's a, the first one is uh, we have to stay intimate with the Father. Everybody say intimate with the Father. We have to stay intentional with our choices. Everybody say intentional. And we have to stay instilling kingdom principles in our sons and daughters. Everybody say instilling. The first one, we have to be intimate with the Father. We have to stay intimate with the Father. John 15, verses 4 through 5, it says, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. This is Jesus talking. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Verse 5 says, Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Listen, we just finished a series here at Makers entitled Just Like Jesus. It, was, it had like, like what, 15,000 parts, something like that? It was awesome. So just like Jesus. Um, and, 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 and listen, if we want to live lives that are just like Jesus, if we want to live lives like Jesus lived, one thing that we need to understand is we cannot forsake intimacy with the Father. If you look at the life of Jesus, if you read about him, one thing he never did, no matter how busy his ministry got, no matter how busy he was with people, he never let it interrupt or, or take away from the fact that he prioritized being alone with the Father. We cannot let our busy schedules, we cannot let the things that we are doing for the kingdom distract us from ever spending time with the king. Listen, sometimes we will get, and, and this is something that I've, I've learned in the last two years of working here and stuff, is sometimes we can get so busy doing for him that we forget to be with him. We neglect the fact that we are still supposed to remain in, the, in his presence because we are doing things for the kingdom. But you can never do enough for the kingdom that outweighs your not being with him. Because what does it say in, in, in what we just read, John 15, verse 5, at the very end it says, For apart from me, you can do nothing. Yeah. 
We have to stay intimate with the Father. The second one is we have to stay intentional with our choices. Ephesians 5, verse 15 and 16. It says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. We have to be people who are intentional in the way that we live. This verse is telling us that we don't have the privilege of just walking. As God's children, as sons and daughters of the king, we don't have the privilege or the opportunity to just walk. We have to walk wisely. We have to walk intentionally. We have to be intentional about the decisions that we make. Each of us only have a set amount of time on this earth. Nobody in this room will live forever. Even though when you're a teenager, it feels like you'll live forever. I still kind of feel like that sometimes, but... Nobody in this room is going to live forever. You have a set amount of time here. And listen, that also means you have a set amount of opportunities to make choices that will impact the generation after you. It's limited. This isn't a practice run for the next life that we're going to live. This is it. This is the thing that we get to do. The impact that we have now before we go to heaven is the impact that will be left for the generations after us. If we understand that the decisions and choices we make now have impact on generations that come after us, we have to stay intentional about the choices we make. The last one is we have to stay instilling kingdom principles into our sons and daughters. Proverbs 22, verse 6, it says, Train up a child in the way he should go. And even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Part of being intentional, especially if you're, if you're a, a, a father or mother, spiritual or biological, we have to be intentional about instilling kingdom principles into our sons and daughters. Listen, no more can we expect that kids are going to get it on their own. You take any person in this room that's never been trained on how to fix a car, me, for example. If you take, if you take me and say there's a car broken, you tell me exactly what's broken with it, and you give me the tools to fix it, I will have no idea how to fix it. You have to help and teach me and train me and show me and help me and walk with me in fixing that the first few times. Listen, we have to be people who prioritize instilling kingdom principles into our sons and daughters because they will not get it on their own. The generations need each other. We don't exist. I mentioned earlier, we are all part of the same kingdom. Generations don't exist separately in the same world. Our generations, they need each other. The younger generation, we need your wisdom. We need help in learning and developing in everything that God's called us to do. Listen, very practically for you and your family, if you don't, start having family Bible studies. Start having times where you pray with your kids. Start having times where you give them opportunities and you teach them how to study the scriptures or pray. Listen, they will learn a lot by watching you do it. And then you give them the power and the opportunity to do it themselves. Don't expect just for your kids to observe you all the time and learn everything they need from that. We have to be intentionally instilling kingdom principles in our sons and daughters. If we want to ensure the best is yet to come for our sons and daughters, we have to continue to be intimate with the Father. We have to continue to be intentional with our decisions, and we have to continue to instill 
kingdom principles in our sons and daughters. Everybody stand with me. Listen, one thing that I think we need to do is we need to drop the expectation that our sons and daughters are going to fill our shoes. It was not designed for us to give shoes or expectations for them to fill. We need to be giving them shoulders that will help propel them into everything that they're called to do. One of my greatest desires being in youth ministry is is I desire to do everything I can to help them go further than I ever could. Each generation has to be intentional and desire to see the next generations after us go further than we ever could. That's how the kingdom is advanced. Listen, the kingdom, we are able to teach more and preach more and share more with more people at once than the disciples ever were. The disciples weren't like, oh, we're just going to do our own thing and not worry about advancing the kingdom. They did their part, and they gave the rest of us after them the shoulders to keep going. We cannot give them shoes to fill. We must give them shoulders that will allow them to step into everything that they're called to do. I hate, one thing I hate, if you ever ask me one of my pet peeves, I'll give you one. One of my pet peeves is when I hear people say that this generation is lost, it, or they're, like they're beyond finding. Like this generation's too far gone. And if you've ever said it to me before, I forgive you. I don't think there's anybody in here, but if you, this generation is not too far gone. This generation doesn't have any less purpose. This generation doesn't have any less reason for existing than the generations before them. This generation is anointed, I believe, to shift culture to shift the nations. I believe in Jesus' name that we are going to see a generation arise that is hungrier than before, that that is pursuing everything that God has for them because I think that this generation is hungry to not just know God, but but to step into purpose, not to just know him for themselves, but to share him with others. There's a responsibility on both sides. Listen, older generations, parents, grandparents, Your responsibility is what we just talked about. Our responsibility is to help them, is to teach them, is to show them, is to lead them. And the younger person's person's responsibility is to receive. It does no good if the older generations aren't pouring out and they're trying to receive. And it does no good if the older generations are pouring out and the younger generation isn't receiving it. I believe in Jesus' name that we are going to continue to see generations step into a place where they are coexisting, and not just coexisting, but co-thriving together. I believe that we are going to see the kingdom advance because generations are working together to see the fullness of the kingdom in the earth. We're going to pray, and I'm going I'm to pray two things. I'm going to pray, one, that parents, grandparents, spiritual mothers and fathers in this room are going to be more intentional than they ever have. Than they ever have. 
And I'm going to pray also that the younger generation in this room, that we would continue to, to seek out mentors. We would continue to receive from the well that you guys are pouring out. So, Father, put your hand on the shoulder of the person next to you. Come on, this is a family here. Find the shoulder next to you. This is a family. We're not just a church, that we, but we are a family. We are people that are doing life together. So, Father, we thank you, Lord, so much, God, for your goodness. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. We thank you, God, for your kindness. Father, I thank you that you are a God of the generations, Father. I thank you, Lord, that you do not favor one generation over another. I thank you, Lord, that there is purpose in each generation in this room. I thank you, Father, that you are continuing, God, to pour out your anointing upon every generation, God, to see the advancement of the kingdom in the earth. Father, I pray, Lord, for the parents and grandparents in this room, Father. I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name that you would enable them, Father, to continue to be more intentional than they ever have. Father, I pray, Lord, that the church in general, God, would step into a place of intentionality like never before. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you will begin to connect sons and daughters with mothers and fathers, Father, and there will begin to be an impartation and an exchanging of hands, Father, of wisdom, of knowledge, of understanding. And, Father, I thank you, Lord, that for everything that you're doing. God, I thank you, Father, that the younger generations will continue to receive everything that you are trying to give them. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would continue to impart to us, God, a passion for generations. Not everybody's called into generational ministry, Father, but everybody is called to love and value and impart into the generations that follow. Father, make us more conscious, God, of the impact that our decisions have on more than just us. Make us more aware, God, that our choices and decisions, Father, have generational impact. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your goodness. God, I thank you, Father, for everything that you are continuing to do. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.